What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable boy, Mike C-Rock. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I'm so thankful to have you each and every week that we come to you. The support that you've given me is uh, just, I can't tell you enough how thankful and grateful I am for that. So first of all, I get that out of the way. Also, the Rocket Fuel book is launching and it is March and we're, we're getting it out. Reminder, Grant Cardone wrote the forward for the book telling about the Rocket Fuel law and how it's affected him and his life. I'm so excited about that, guys. And I can't wait for you to actually grab it and read it. So if you want to get that book, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. Today, I have a friend from Clubhouse, McCall Jones. She's the founder of Charisma Hacking, a community of entrepreneurs that learn frameworks for how to be engaging and likable on video. Because the best copy or the best offer will still fail on video if the presenter is boring or embarrassing. That's why I told, by the way, McCall to come on live here, not just a podcast where you listen, but if you guys want to watch, this is also on my website and YouTube at Mike Searock Scirocco. McCall's lifelong career of performing, seriously lifelong as in first professional gig, started when she was six as an actress in High School Musical. High School Musical 2. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Watch that with the kids. <laughs> or a singer performed for audiences as big as 35,000 people. It helped her uncover the secrets that were holding back entrepreneurs from growing their business where, whenever they stepped in front of the camera. Okay, I'm done. I'm done reading the bio. Let's get into it, man. Because <laughs> I don't ever know where to stop on bios. And I, I you know, let's just tell your story. What are you made of, McCall? <laughs> I love it. Well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, what am I made of? That's such a cool question. I think part of the cool things about humans in general, and I would love to say about me as well, is I'm made of a lot of different things. Um, mostly I would say that I'm made of my experiences, which I know is probably a different answer than you're expecting, but I have had a lot of different experiences that have made me not only who I am, but really comfortable with who I am. Uh, and those experiences have, have helped me empower other people to also be who they are, to also make people listen. Yeah. I, I would say that I'm made of some tough stuff with, with some sprinkles of silliness. Um, and yeah, it's, it's mostly just about being real and about being really comfortable with your own reality, whatever that means. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. So uh, I want to take, I want you to take us back and you can take, take us back to when you're in diapers or any time after that. Um, tell us, tell us how you got started in life in general, man. Like what, what was your upbringing like and family life and all that? Yeah. So I, I actually started my whole journey with charisma hacking when I was very young. Uh, I grew up as a child performer, which now, you know, because of my bio, but as a child performer, I learned at a very young age to derive all of my worth from the fact that I was a performer, which obviously wasn't super healthy. So I was performing all the time. Uh, once again, you know, I, I know you heard that in my bio, but I did my first crowd of 20,000 people when I was eight, my first crowd of 35,000 when I was 11. I was performing on a very consistent basis. 
I wouldn't go to a lot of my schooling because I was traveling for singing and performing and different things like that. And with all of this worth and all of this performance experience, I had an incredible amount of anxiety, but it wasn't from the crowd size so much as I was so panicked that uh, I would literally have this recurring nightmare that one day I would wake up and I wouldn't be able to sing. I would forget how to perform. I would forget how to speak and that nobody would love me anymore. And that I would just be the shell of a human because that's, that's all I did. And, you know, it led me to doing so many things. It led me to actually come up with all of my charisma hacking things and to break down this process of if I woke up tomorrow, would I be able to teach myself how to repeat my success? You know, all these people would tell me, which I, I understand as a compliment, but they would tell me I had the it factor. And it only led to more anxiety because it felt like this wind, like this mist that I couldn't hold on to. And I didn't know what it was. So I didn't know if I had lost it, which once again, just added to these nightmares, which is kind of, I mean, obviously it was a nightmare, but it was, it was crazy. So from, from when I was very young, I started looking for things that I could measure or ways that I could just know that I hadn't lost it. Right. So the first yeah. thing that I would do is I would, I would count the people after I performed that would compliment me. And if it got to a certain number, I would relax and I would be like, okay, I haven't lost it. Like, I think that this is going to be okay. And, you know, now I say, you know, I, I realized very quickly that that was an unhealthy behavior. But when I was nine, right, you know, right. I, I just thought, what if they're lying to me? Like, this isn't an accurate way to tell if I'm doing a good job or not. So I have this experience with. <laughs> with this performance that really changed everything for me when when I was nine years old. I was singing at the Steve Young Retirement Benefit Cruise. He's this football player that played for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, he's awesome. And he, and, so he, cool. and he was went to BYU. Yeah, and he went to BYU. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And Donnie Osmond was also on the program and he sang right before me on this boat. It was like this small boat and this benefit gala, obviously. And as Donnie was performing and I was backstage, I was having like this ritualistic panic attack, basically, of trying to remember all of my choreography and trying to remember like, no, I know how to sing. I know how to sing and really panicking how I had been, you know, backstage forever. And then something happened where the audience all of a sudden was laughing and they were like saying things back to Donnie. And it totally snapped me out of my panicked state because I'd never heard an audience react that way before. So there was this little room divider that they were counting as backstage. And I snuck around the room divider to watch what Donnie was doing. Because once again, I had never heard an audience react like that before, even though I'd been performing for, you know, a couple of years at that point. And what I saw Donnie Osmond doing with his audience, it, it changed my whole perspective really on performing. Uh, he was very relaxed, but it was a serious song, yet he had the audience laughing at times. He would speak in between lines. He would point at them. Uh, <laughs> the person who was accompanying him on the piano played a wrong chord. And where I had always been taught, you know, you ignore it and you move forward. Professionals never break. He acknowledged it in the middle of this performance. And he was like, that was supposed to be an A. And he kept going. And in that moment, I became so envious of this relationship that he had with this audience that immediately I was like, I could do that. I could do everything that he's doing. And let's <laughs> see if I could get the same reaction. Own the, own the stage, right? That's what he was doing, yes, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and at that point, like I had different choreography and stuff, right? I'd been performing, but I had never done that before. Yeah. I had never actually counted it as like interacting or connecting with an audience before. I just thought it was, you know, me moving my arms up mm-hmm. and down in order to go to the beat of the song. 
So not, immediately not, I started well, making a checklist. Be, no, go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to cut you off except for the fact that I want to ask you. So isn't there a fine line with professionalism and engaging with the, the uh, audience? You know what I mean? You don't want to go over the line. So I guess that's a, a delicate art of how yeah. you did that. Yeah. So it's really interesting because with all of these things, yeah, I, I started immediately make this checklist because the rest of my life started started being about instead of like the performance aspect of it, it was about the connection aspect of it. And it was about connecting with audiences and directors and even like people on the other side of the camera in order to evoke these reactions out of them. Right. And that's how I started measuring these things. So I started uh, not writing down because I obviously didn't have paper at that time, but I started logging this checklist and creating this checklist of different things that Donnie was doing on stage. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do those things, right? So when I went on stage, I, I did those things. I did it with my face, my voice, my body with very, very small details. And then when I got off stage, all of a sudden, I had a way to not only measure if I did a good job, but if I woke up the next morning, I could teach myself what I did. And I was like, all of a sudden, so much anxiety wow, uh, was man. relieved in that moment. Right. So wait a minute, but this was you doing this and not somebody saying, Hey, you should do this. Like, how did you at that young age, man, that's just amazing that you uh, were (laughs) able to, I mean, I'm not trying to edify you right now. I'll edify you later, but (laughs) like, but the fact that you were able to do that, man, I mean, most adults aren't doing that right now. Yeah. Well, it honestly, like a lot of people have asked me before, like, Whoa, do people think you are a savant doing this? I honestly just think they thought I was a nerd. I really like all, everything that I was doing was performing. Right. And I back then, you know, had a hard time admitting that people were better than me when I was nine. Right. But I acknowledged that and it would make me very insecure. And the way that I dealt with that was trying to be as good or better than the people who I was on these stages with. I was on the stage with, you know, so many incredible people and I saw what they did. And I was like, wait a minute, I can do that. I can do that. Right. It was almost like this, this envy that (laughs) turned into this like, really competitive drive in me. And then my parents have this uh, dance studio in their basement with these full length mirrors where I could go down and practice what these people were doing over and over and over again. And anytime, anytime I would see a performer on TV, it would spin my wheels of like, oh my gosh, they're better than me. I need to go practice. So I would watch what they were doing and then I would go into the basement And I would practice the different ways that they were interacting with people, right? And I would practice the phrases they were using, the facial expressions and the actions and how they were moving on the stage and what they were doing with the microphone. And I really, I was just, I was committed to it. Why were you so committed? What was the end game for you at that age? Do you remember what you were like really focused on? And why did you want to be so good? Like at that young age, you know, because it's not normal. No, it's not normal. I love (laughs) it. I love it, but it's not normal. (laughs) Yeah. I honestly, I think, you know, I grew up in situations. I kind of said this at the beginning, but I really did derive all of my worth from the fact that I was a performer. I started performing very young. I was doing weddings, you know, at six and then NBA basketball games at eight and stuff. And I, I think it was kind of a combination of I really did love being in front of people. I think even that validation, you know, looking back at it, I had constant validation, constant, yep, cheering and, you know, crowds and people telling me that I was great. And I loved being in front of people. And I also felt, I felt like it was such a part of my identity that I couldn't stop. Right. right? It was like this laid out thing for me. Totally. Yeah, 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 totally. Every person that came into my life told me I was the next big fill in the blank. 
which, you know, is a lot of pressure for a little girl. And I, I took that pressure and I didn't look at it as an option. I looked at it as kind of a faded statement. And it was like, well, if I'm going to be in front of people, then I better be good. Otherwise, you know, I don't know, kind of fill in the blank stuff. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it changed at different ages. When I was very young, I loved it. You know what I mean? When I was very young, I loved that. And I loved that everybody thought I was going to be famous when I grew up. Right. And then as I got older and kind of came into the insecurities that come with adolescence and teenage years, right. It, it turned from everybody loves me because I sing to, I think strangers love me because I sing and people who know me think that I uh, am doing it for attention or, you know what I mean? It, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't go to a lot of my schooling because I was traveling and, you know, sometimes that was hard to make friends sometimes, you know what I mean? Like it's, It changed. It changed as I grew up. And, you know, the whole the whole story of kind of charisma hacking and how I even started this business is I took this checklist system that I created when I was nine and I applied it to every area of my life. Right. Another huge thing um, in my life was voice lessons. Right. And I would travel from L.A. to Texas to Utah because I had three different voice teachers and all of them had very different methods. And when I would use one method at a different teacher, they would get frustrated with me yeah. and be like, oh, that's not what we practice, right. you know? And I would just cry. And would they know? Where they know you had the other coaches? No. Oh yeah. No. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know? And it yeah. just, it was like, where are you practicing McCall? Like, what are you doing? You know? And as soon as this moment with Donnie happened, I realized that every teacher just had a different checklist. And if I could, uh, you know, I had one uh, coach who was amazing, who told me that I teach my voice and my acting like an instrument right? That I'm able to play different notes and uh, use it in yep. different ways other than, you know, just singing and trying to do abstract things. And that's because of these checklists, right? All of a sudden, when I go to one teacher, I'd apply one checklist of like what I'm supposed to do with my voice and my mouth shape and my, you know, facial expressions and my body and then my breathing. And then I turn that checklist off, go to the next teacher and turn a different checklist on. And all of a sudden I could be successful everywhere. Right. right so the system. Versatile. Yes. It was amazing. You know, and this happened for a long time until I was 18. Right. I had, I built all of these checklists for different crowd sizes and for acting and singing and voiceover work and speaking and all these things. And when I was 18, I was fired from an acting job for being too fat. Right. They literally like between the audition, it was so harsh between the audition and actually filming the project. I had gained like 15 pounds. This boy broke my heart. I ate all my feelings. Yeah, and that's not even that much. <laughs> no. And they dismissed me from set because I had gained weight. And oh. it broke me in a way that How like old? 18. Jeez, I was 18. Jeez. I say I was 18. I was a senior in high school. So I may have been 17, but Damn. it was brutal. And in that moment, I vowed to never be on camera again. I was like, I don't want to be in front of people. I don't want to do this anymore. Like it was this, all of a sudden, like this fear of rejection became so real for me because it was just rejection, right? And it embarrassed my agent and my parents and me. Like it was just, oh my gosh, it was awful. And, you know, from there, I took several years off, right? And not having this creative itch of something that had been everything that I did for so many years. I mean, at that point, it was 10 years of professional (laughs) performing, you know, to all of a sudden stop. 
you know, I all of a sudden became very depressed and, you know, had a lot of anxiety, even more anxiety than I had in the past. And then I had this, this girl come to me and ask me if I would help her with an audition. And uh, she was like, you used to do this. Could you help me do this? And once again, you know, the anxiety rose because I didn't want to be the reason she succeeded or failed. Yeah. But I agreed if we could do a before after video of what she was doing so I could prove that I was actually making a difference. And I just taught her one of my checklists and it worked. And the before after video was crazy, which started my whole first business uh, of teaching performers how to be in front of people. I would just teach them these checklists. And then I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of before after videos proving these checklists that I'd only done for myself in other people. And then I went to an internet marketing convention and then switched it to being instead of performers, entrepreneurs, right? All of a sudden I realized I was like, Oh my gosh, entrepreneurs need this. That's the, that's the way that you, you know, if something matters, you need to measure it. And that's, you, you figured this out at eight or nine years old about measuring the actions that you're taking to get better. But not only that, just the, uh, incremental, gains that you're having as well. Right. Like you yeah. can, yeah, that was phenomenal. One, before you go any further, I got to yeah. see, I'm, I'm a very humble person when it comes to the words. My stepfather taught me before he passed away in 2019, when I was a young kid, he used to teach me to read a lot. He said, read, read, read. And I would say, no, I don't feel like reading. I would finish books halfway. And he'd say, mm-hmm. you know what? You're not finishing the books because you're not understanding the words that are coming mm-hmm. right just prior to you quitting. And then mm-hmm. you lose interest. You don't even know you're doing it. So he said, look words up when you don't understand something, look it up. So I would look him up and he wouldn't give me the definitions, even though he knew the answer. He'd make me go get the big dictionary. We didn't have Google. Mm-hmm. And so I learned to look words up. So charisma, let's, let me go over this with you. Cause I want to hear like what you're, you know, what you like about the definition of this, but compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others, a divinely conferred power or talent. So like, this is what you've been just describing this whole time, which is, I, I thought was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I define charisma within charisma hacking, I take that definition and I niche it down just a little bit. The way that I define it within my business and for my clients is getting strangers to trust you and getting those who know you to be aggressively devoted to you. Uh, A lot of times people think that charisma has to be the stereotypical kind of all over the place and loud and big and all those things. The thing that I have found is that everybody has people in their lives who are already aggressively devoted to them right? Whether it's a spouse or a sibling or a friend or a parent, a child. And if we can recreate those relationships on a massive scale in businesses and in life, then we don't have to be any one thing other than completely ourselves, right? And with these kind of checklists that, that I developed before, you know, for being better in front of people, all of a sudden I switched it and it's being able to be the best you. And I know that that sounds kind of corny, but it's literally the most engaging version of yourself using very, very uh, specific tactics in order to, like you said, in that definition, inspire devotion in people. And it's this charm that, that there's a voice for every audience and an audience for every voice. And it doesn't have to be one specific thing, which is- And and being genuine with it, not ingenuous. So- Totally. So what are some of the things that would be on a checklist for an entrepreneur? You don't have to cover everything because I want to just I want to just give them a taste so that they want more. Yeah, cool. (laughs) I would love that. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. So especially because this is mainly an audio medium, I can go over some of the voice things. So with Charisma Hacking, we have two different sides of it. We have. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. 
That's mikecroc.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. We have emotional accuracy and we have tactics. The emotional accuracy is how we make sure that we're resonating with our people, right? That we are emotionally mapping them because we're in con- when we're in control of their emotions, we're then in control of their actions, right? So we measure the emotional accuracy if when we are being excited on video or on audio or on stage, does it match when we're actually excited in real life when we're with our favorite people, right? But the way that we measure that are these tactics. And I'll go over some of these tactics with you really fast. So Uh, Just using audio tactics with your voice, different things that we measure are things like uh, dynamic pitch, right? How high or how low your voice is. So for example, if uh, when you are with your most favorite person in the world and you are your most engaging self, if when you're excited, you're talking like this, and then when you're on video or on audio, right, when you're doing a podcast or doing a video, if all of a sudden you're talking like this and you're like, yes, I'm very excited about my business, there's a disconnect, right? They <laughs> right, don't right, match, right? right? Yep, yep, so the yep. things that we measure, the first thing we can look at is the dynamic pitch of your voice. In order to make something friendlier or to add energy to it, we want to use the top third of your range or the highest part of your voice, right? It's when I talk up here, when I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. If I don't have that same pitch, when I am trying to be excited on video or audio, I know that there's a disconnect and then I can measure how to change that in order to add that energy or friendly tone, right? So dynamic pitch is like one of them. There's so many different, there's tone concentration, there's uh, how bright or dark your sound is, right? How percussive your consonants are, how you know, intense, you are making the emotions that you're trying to make people feel. We measure these things in such small detail in order to make the emotions genuine. And I know that feels a little bit backwards, but before we do videos, we measure the emotions. We make sure that things match our real lives. We make sure that they are genuine emotions that we're actually connecting with people, right? And not just performing, which has mirrored my entire life. And then after, when we watch those videos, we actually have ways to measure that. We have ways to measure that connection. We have ways to increase that connection and to increase those very specific emotions that we want and need people to feel in order to resonate with us. Love it. Makes so much sense, man. You know, I watch a lot of my videos back. I'm on, I did 300 podcast interviews last year, not just my own shows, but other people's. That's awesome. And I, we clip them up, repurpose, and then the other people obviously do the same thing. And I'm looking at them. My wife goes, you just love watching yourself. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? It's not about that. It's really, yes, I do love watching myself because I get better and I can pay attention to different things like saying, uh, or Mm -hmm. like you said, the pitch, the tone, like all these different things, talking with my hands. I like animation, you know, I'm Italian anyway. So I talk with my hands (laughs) most of the time anyway, but I think, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, man, you're just so genuine. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Like I get on here and I'm just talking like it is. I don't, I don't hide anything. (laughs) You know? So I think that comes down to just, it's freeing when you can do that too. You know, Mm. uh, when you're not trying to impersonate an an emotion or impersonate some, you know, someone. Totally. The other thing is my accent or the way I talk when I'm podcast or when I'm on stage, you know, I work with some things because I don't want to say, uh, and those kind of things, but Mm. my accent or the way I talk, I think there's a genuine quality about leaving it alone. Yeah. Not being the most polished speaker, for example. So. Uh, I, I, I don't, sometimes I think to myself, am I being lazy doing that? Like, cause I don't want to work. No, it's not that I spent mm. a lot of time in this. So 
I just wanted to share that with you because I go through some of those things too. So yeah, well, it's also it's like uh, a lot of times people talk about removing ums, likes, uh, you know, all those different kinds of you know vocal ticks if you want to call them that. But in acting principles, really in acting classes, everything that we do in acting is trying to add natural speaking patterns back into things in order to make them sound natural. I have a completely different perspective, even being a charisma and video coach with people. I think you should always err on the side of a natural speaking pattern. The thing that we want to address is really like the symptom, right? Or the the cause of what's happening. We say, okay, if you need to collect your thoughts, if it's a nervous thing that you're doing, then we address the nerves and we address the you know, scattered thought (laughs) part of it, instead of trying to count the ums and thes and likes and all of the additional things that you're adding, we don't look at those because we don't want to remove them because all of a sudden, then you're focused on the wrong things, right? right? You're not focused on that connection. Kind of like you said, right? You're not focused on being yourself and just making sure that you're showing the right emotions. Instead, you're focused on making sure you don't say these specific things, which change the way that you speak, right? So it's, yeah, it's all about that, that natural speaking pattern because really people crave that genuineness. They crave that realness from people. And the more we can give them that, the better for both parties, right? For you as the entrepreneur, because really, if you try to become somebody else, every time you are on stage, on video, or on audio, really what you're telling your brain is how you really are in person isn't enough over and over and over again. And that is so hard. That is so grating on your soul and on your heart and on any spark that comes with being an entrepreneur and running a business, right? Instead, if you can say, oh, wow, the real version of me is enough. Now we just need to remove the filters that we put on ourselves in order to be on video or when we go in front of people or in order to appear more professional or whatever. If we can just remove those filters, all of a sudden in our personal lives, we actually become more comfortable with being ourselves as well because we're more comfortable being ourselves in front of people, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So I love it, man. Great job, man. Great job explaining that. Uh <laughs> Yeah. And uh, one other thing too, I wanted to know, what's your big thing that you're going for right now? Like what's out there for, for you in the next year or two, or what do you see your end? Not your end. I don't like to say end game, but yeah. what's, your, what's your big the thing? Next, the next thing. Yeah, okay. Um, Honestly, right now I'm trying to get charisma hacking in the hands of as many people as possible. So charisma hacking is a new business. I really only started charisma hacking, the internet marketing video coaching a year ago. It is almost a year to the date right now. Uh, before that, like I said, it was a performance business. Uh, in the last year, you know, I have been really lucky and really fortunate, worked really hard to do some really cool things. I'm in the phase now where I I really just have to get it in the hands of as many people as possible because I truly believe that every entrepreneur needs it. Every business would fail without it, right? Yeah. Without being able to connect with your people and make people listen, especially in the age of video, right? With everything that COVID has brought, everybody's on video now. We have to connect with people using video. So in the next year, yeah, I have I have a course launching in the next month. I have another program launching at the same time and a coaching program. Um, we're kind of doing Charisma Hacking 2.0 to kind of take it to that next level of just really promoting the crap out of it in order to empower as many entrepreneurs as possible. So this next year is really all about that. Um, love it, man. Yeah, let's I'm go. Really I'm, ro- I'm rooting for you. I want to see, I want to see success. And if there's anything I can do to help, uh, you, so you just got to reach out to me, but, uh, that, you know, I'm here for you. One, one other thing 
I wanted to ask you with regards to Clubhouse. We met on Clubhouse. What do you see with Clubhouse? What are your experiences with it? What do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? Uh, Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I'm a huge fan of Clubhouse. I think Clubhouse kind of gave back the connection that people have been craving. Really the only connection we've been able to have with people in the last year is on Zoom calls. And I feel like Zoom calls have to be scheduled. And a lot of times they have an agenda and uh, they... I don't know, they almost become mundane or robotic. You know, a lot of people get like Zoom fatigue, I guess. Uh, With Clubhouse, because it's not recorded, you have to be there live. There's ways to connect with people that I I really feel have never been there before. I have made more friends and connections on Clubhouse in the last, you know, month than I think I did the whole previous year. And people outside of the immediate circle... Yep, you know what I mean? Yep. It's like you have your you have your crew that you hang out with, right? I started in the ClickFunnels community. So I know a lot of people who use ClickFunnels and who are awesome in the ClickFunnels community. Clubhouse has expanded that horizon for me, even being new to internet marketing. I meet a lot of different really cool people who are doing really cool things. We help each other out. We empower each other. And we're really seeing really cool collaboration opportunities for all of us, which is really cool. I don't see Clubhouse going anywhere. I think uh, if anything, it's only going to get bigger when it gets out of beta and everybody gets on it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they kind of curate the hallways a little bit more so that you are only seeing the people you follow. Cause I know that you see more of the people you follow right now, but there's still like random things in the hallway. And I feel yeah, like interest there's based a lot on of interest, I think too. Totally. Yeah. yeah totally. So, so what don't you like about it? What's one thing? Don't give me a bunch of things. Just one thing. Yeah. I think Is there anything that you. It's time consuming, man. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's addicting and it pulls me away from other things I probably should be doing. Well, (laughs) I'll tell you one thing, one thing that drives me nuts with it, because I'm a big communication guy and I think communication, well, I don't think nothing, but communication is two way, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're on clubhouse and you say something, there's weight to talkers. Mm -hmm. When you say something, sometimes the other person just jumps in and then goes with what they wanted to say. And they've been waiting for so long. And I think that it causes a problem communication wise because cycles in life have to go around. They come and go. Communication cycles are to you and back to me and acknowledged. Hmm. And when you leave a whole bunch of uncomplete cycles and anything in life, whether it's shutting the light off in a room, not clean up after yourself, chaos ensues. Yeah. And um, I think that's the one thing that gets me is like, I think people should have some kind of etiquette where they're like, they acknowledge what that person says. And I think some people Mm -hmm. do, but when it doesn't happen, it's kind of like, man, this is, this is going to (laughs) be, so that's my take on it. Now, before I get into the last question, rocket fuel question, Yeah. how can my audience engage with you uh, and, and reach out to you, connect with you? Totally. Well, I'm a human. You can definitely connect with me on Facebook. I would love that. Uh, I also have a ton of free charisma hacks that I do of so many people at charismavault.com. You can really dive into these tactics, really dive into so many incredible entrepreneurs that I've been breaking down who are amazing at their craft. Yeah. Like I said, that's charismavault.com. It's totally free. And then yeah, just connect with me on Facebook, connect with me on Instagram. It's Paul Jones. I love to to connect with people to hear their stories and to make friends. It's really my favorite thing. (laughs) Let's go guys. Let's go support McCall Jones. Thank you. Phenomenal, phenomenal person. I've heard her on Clubhouse. Now we've heard her on the What Are You Made Of podcast. So thankful to have her here. Last question. What does the rocket fuel law of converting setbacks into rocket fuel for your future to become unstoppable mean to you or what has it meant to you, McCall? Yeah, I think, you know, connection and trust is is really my thing, you know, and authenticity. Those are really like big words in my life that mean a lot. And I feel like you can't connect with people without relating to them. And I think that a lot of times 
we are ashamed of our setbacks. We're ashamed of our trials. We're ashamed of hard things that have happened to us. And I've been through that period of my life as well, uh, where I tried to hide them or, you know, like I said, I was just ashamed of them. Now, the really cool thing is I embrace them because I know that not only does it help me relate with my audience, but it helps me be kind to myself as well to realize the lessons that I've learned in the points of my life that have been the lowest have been the most impactful and they've helped me have the highest highs in my life as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you just, I think you just have to pay attention to if you are in a season of your life where you're in a low point, I know it's really hard to think this will fuel my rocket to the top. But I think that, I think that just remembering that every single thing that you go through helps add to your story and helps make you who you are. And nobody has the same experiences as you, which, you know, automatically gives you authority to, to speak and to connect with people and to have people listen to you. I think that every day and every trial just kind of adds to that story and it makes you more of an amazing person, especially the trials. And I really, I really do try to embrace that in my life. I've been through a lot of hard things and I really feel like they've, those are the things that have made me who I am and empathetic and, you know, have given me the ability to connect with people kind of the way that I do instead of, you know, the, the thousands of people cheering and all of that, like that's been really fun, but that, that hasn't fueled my character. That hasn't fueled, you know, my drive, even though that's made me happy at certain points, I feel like the trials are really the thing that stick because they're they're the lessons you can take. Damn right. And you know what else? While you're in an adversity, you don't realize that it's powerful for you, that it's for you. And that's why it's so important to be proactive with this and prepare yourself ahead of time because this week's been kind of rough for me personally. And, and I luckily I'm prepared and built the way I'm built because like we rocket fuel, like our rockets blast off right out of it. Like it's just, but it still feels, I still get that feeling, man. It's like, gosh, man, this isn't, but it's normal. It's normal. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's fantastic. I, I love that take on it. I appreciate you so much. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, McCall. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Up podcast with your boy, Mike C-Rock. Thank you for listening. Until next time, guys, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, Mike crock.com forward slash book that's mike crock.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy thank you so much for your support and your listenership it means the world to me